Alright, good morning everyone. Welcome to another edition of our Live Tanker and IMO 2020 Investor Forum. We're recording on the morning of 17 January 2020 as we begin our final day of this forum. We'll start off by hosting Vessels Value. We have their Chief Operating Officer, Adrian Pekonomakis, on to talk about the history of Vessels Value, what they do in the markets, and most importantly for us, uh, what sort of stuff they're seeing in the cycles. As a disclosure, I am along several crude and product tanker names. I will try to give disclosures as appropriate. Just be aware this is recorded on January 17th in the morning. Uh, so if you're listening to recording at a later date, those disclosures might change. With that, welcome Adrian. Thanks for joining us. Hi Jay. Good morning to you. Yeah, I guess it's good morning to me. It must be a good afternoon to you. Is that correct? Just about. Lovely sunny day in London today. All right, fantastic. Well, uh, you know, I've been working with uh, Vessels Value since, man, I think 2013. So we we definitely go way back. But uh, for those on the line and for the recording later who aren't as familiar with Vessels Value, can you just give us a quick rundown of, of how you got established and, and sort of what market need you identified? Uh, absolutely. Uh, good morning or good afternoon, everybody on the line. Um, so I do appreciate you're, you're probably quite keen for me to get on to the actual kind of market analysis and data, but you know, as per Jay's questions, it's good to just set a, set a bit of context in terms of the brief introduction to our company uh, and our history. Um, so we were a startup in 2011. Um, we started with five people. Uh, we launched the first version of our service in May 2011, initially covering daily updated algorithm and data-driven market values provided through an online service, um, really looking at providing these to investors, lenders, ship owners, you know, and other people with an interest in the asset side of the shipping market. Uh, it's managed to be quite a success. We've grown from the five people we started with to now about 150 people in the company across six offices uh, in the UK, um, in um, Singapore, in China, in Manila, um, and a few other little places around. Um, in terms of our service and what we do, you know, values is still very core. Um, we don't only do market values now, we do a variety of values which I will touch upon, including forecast and condition adjusted values. And we also do much more than just tankers and bulkers, we do pretty much the entire cargo shipping and offshore fleet. So simply in terms of the market values, we provide daily updated market values for approximately 60,000 vessels in the global fleet. That's provided using extensive uh, data, commercial data and vessel data, along with our proprietary algorithms. In addition to the market values, we provide demolition values, discounted cash flow, forecasts, and as I said, a very new service condition adjusted values. In addition to the values themselves, we also provide supporting data through our various databases, both our commercial database of you know, the real, real-time real live deals that are coming out. Uh, for any of you that don't know, shipping is very opaque. Uh, we've effectively become the kind of central repository and, uh, and database for commercial deals, whether they're being transactions or, or new buildings or charters. So that's our database side. Uh, and then an area very close to my heart is uh, the vessel tracking and derived trade flow data that we determined from that. And that really comes under both our mapping and our trade service. Mapping is great, particularly on the investor side for identifying vessels being naughty. So whether those are vessels or companies going and trading in places they shouldn't trade. 
And then our trade data is very exciting. Effectively, we take information concerning the locations of vessels, their historical and current behavior, a huge amount of geographic information, i.e. ports, terminals, jetties, anchorages, transit zones, and so forth, and again, some proprietary algorithms we've developed over the last five years to effectively determine what vessels are doing at any time. Are they loading? Are they discharging? Are they with cargo? Are they without cargo? Are they laid up, not doing any work? Once we've got that, this idea of understanding what they're doing when they stopped and what they're doing on their journeys, we can determine you know, the holy grail of shipping analysis, which is demand, right? And when I talk about demand, I talk about cargo miles, ton miles, TU miles, and cargo volumes, right? And this is a real-time vessel-specific demand. So we can look at the evolution in real-time and historically of the growth in demand versus the growth in supply. Guess what? When demand is growing fast and supply, generally the markets are improving and will continue to improve and vice versa. So once we get into the discussing on the, the various markets, I'm also going to give you a bit of insight into what we're seeing on, on, the, uh, on the fundamental demand and supply relationships in the market. Yeah, fantastic, Adrian. It's a, it's a good rundown. And, you know, unfortunately, I don't own any stock <laughs> in Vessels Value. Uh, we, we got in, uh, you know, partnered with you back in 2013. So got in early when it was still kind of a startup. Um, and it's been a great partnership. I, I just wish I'd, you know, somehow invested in the company. You guys have done some great things. Um, I, I think a lot of folks maybe don't realize um, the stuff that you do provide in terms of, like you mentioned, the trade. Uh, you also have a database, right, of all the new builds, of all the transactions, uh, all that sort of stuff. So it's a complete information suite. Right? It's not just it's not just a valuation machine. Uh, real quick, in terms of those values, Adrian, before we kind of go yep. on, um, how accurate are those? Like, because I know you stress test those against the actual transactions. Yeah. How accurate have those? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very good question. Obviously, one that is central to our clients. Just before I get onto that, you know, the the kind of surprising thing, and it's still surprising, it is that case. We are the only valuation provider to measure and report our, accurate, our valuation accuracy. You know, we find that very surprising. You know, it's, it's one of the reasons why we're able to get an advantage and grow in the way that we've done. You know, typically before we came along and even now, you know, it's very untransparent and very opaque. And there's been a big problem with subjectivity of values. You know, people providing values for, let's say, uh, their own incentives rather than reflecting what's going on in the market. I'm not saying everybody's doing that, but there have been issues with that. So how we measure our accuracy, it sounds very simple and easy, is we value every vessel in the global fleet every day. Whenever a vessel is sold, we know our value the day before versus her sale price on the day. So the value the day before, so we're not using that sale price to adjust the value to then assess, the, assess it against it. We're being as fair and kind of difficult to ourselves as possible. So transaction price uh, versus the value the day before. And at a high level, I mean, we can go into this and we have various distributions and so on, but to give you a high level insight, across the tanker space, 89% of our values are within 20% of the sale price. Across bulkers, that goes up to 92%. Containers, you have to understand, is an even more opaque and a liquid market, and often a lot of these vessels are sold with charters attached. We're at 64%, 71% for LNG and 69% for LPG. Once you get to within 30%, we're effectively up at 99% for most. There are obviously some outliers, particularly vessels that are in very, very, very poor condition. And that is one of the reasons why the last year we've um, tied up with an inspection company called Idwal, who do data-driven inspections of vessels. 
They provide that information to us. We combine our data-driven values with their data-driven inspections to give an automated condition-adjusted value. So as we start including those into our accuracy statistics, we hope on the uh, outliers to significantly improve in that area. Yeah, absolutely, Adrian. And of course, the, of course, the right way to visualize it for, for clients and for investors is some sort of like bell curve. Right. You know, that's, exa that's exactly, if I, if I had slides, that's what I would be showing you. And, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is that because we measure our, our values from the day before, of course, when a sale comes in, she can be a massive new benchmark sale. You know, it's like when you wake up in the morning and the stock market's gone up or down three or four percent. Right. The market wasn't there until that happened. But effectively, on our accuracy, it's not our, the accuracy of our current values. It's actually our accuracy of predicting tomorrow's next done price, which you can understand is, is much more difficult to do, uh, and hence those um, accuracy statistics. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we've done a pretty good job of kind of setting the table and, and letting folks know maybe who weren't as uh, keen on what you, what it is you offer, yep. uh, kind of your services and so on. Um, as we as we turn towards, as you mentioned, kind of the exciting point, uh, right? This is the uh, tanker and IMO 2020 forum, but we're not limited to that yep. to that asset class. Um, as part of your analytics, because I know because I've seen you present like a marine money and these things, I know you look at sort of the long term asset cycle, right? In each subsector. So I, I think all of us would be very interested to hear some of your broad thoughts on the current market uh, for all sub-segments, uh, but maybe which one's looking attractive and maybe which ones are not looking so attractive. Yeah, ex exactly. So I'll, I'll, start off with, I'll start off with the sectors that look attractive just from a cyclical point of view. You know, I will then mention a little bit more about, you know, you can't just look at the cycle. You know, when I do those presentations, it tends to be, you know, a traffic light system where the cycle is one part of it. But, you know, we very much advise our clients to look at various different metrics. The first one is what's actually happening to values now. You know, if a market's going up or down very quickly right now, that also can inform your, your, your decision making process. Also, the long term view of the cycle, which we're going to talk about. Also, we uh, do our own macroeconomic forecasts. Right, totally uh, underived from the typical data I'm talking about here, really looking at macroeconomic trends. So that's another important part to look at. And then what I said at the beginning, the supply and demand balance is absolutely critical for looking for the structural um, uh, state of the market. But we don't have time to talk about all of that. And of course, any of your listeners or yourself can reach out and ask us for more information. I'd be more than happy to share old presentations and so forth. So let's look at what effectively, if you're talking about most attractive in terms of the cycle, you're saying what's the cheapest. So in terms of the, the really the whole kind of maritime space, unsurprisingly, the cheapest, most you know, attractive class is the offshore sector. All right. This is a market that has been much, much, much maligned since 2016. You know, it had huge drops in values. You're talking, you know, some vessels were came down by, you know, a, a, a divide of 10 um, from the, the peaks before then, really driven by the low oil price at the time. We know oil's had some volatility. I know that it's up quite a lot at the moment, but, you know, the, the offshore sector really reacts to long-term oil price trends as it's, uh, you know, driven by the exploration and production uh, demands of the, of the oil majors and the oil companies out there, and they don't make these decisions quickly. So to give you the data, Across the offshore sector, which includes both the offshore supply vessels, such as the vessels that go provide um, services to the oil rigs or, or, or tow them around the very large tug ships, 
and the offshore drilling um, uh, vessels such as the ultra deep water drilling vessels, the jack-up rigs and semi-submersible rigs. In the last, sorry, over the last 12 years, these values are currently 70 to 80% below their 12-year average. So they are massively down, right? And it really depends on the different sectors. You know, some of them, if I just bring up some data here quickly, are down hugely. So if you take something like a large anchor handling tug, she is down 77% versus 12-year average. I mean, way down off the high, but off the 12 year average 77. Drill ships are down 69%, jack ups are down 58%, and the best performing of the worst uh, is the PSVs, the platform supply vessels, which are down 52%. So, in terms of prices, very attractive, and that has caused some kind of vulture funds and some cash rich Greek ship owners to come in and snap up some cheap assets looking for some significant uh, capital gains. However, Offshore is very, very, very risky. The problem is in cargo shipping, you can buy cheap ships and effectively not use them for a couple of years waiting for the market to come back up. In offshore, these vessels are highly complex. And uh, when they go and into layup, there's a large cost of maintaining them. And even worse is that once they come out of layup, they become much less attractive to the oil majors, as oil majors are most concerned with safety, quite rightly, safety of, uh, of the drilling and so forth. So when they have a choice of choosing a vessel that has been working and has a good track record over the last couple of years versus one that's been in layup, you can see where the preference would go. And in this uh, situation where we have far too many vessels for the amount of demand that's out there, you can see that the ones that have been in layup may uh, have serious issues. And particularly once you get to the drill ships, the general opinion is that if they go into layup, they're very unlikely to come back out. So great opportunity, but also great risk. So, you know, somebody with deep pockets and good technical expertise, possibly uh, for just an opportunistic buyer, I would be very, very, very cautious. There's no free lunch in that sector, right? Like it's very cheap. It's very interesting. I know we looked at Tidewater, for instance, last fall, and we had a position for a few months, but it's uh, it's not without extreme risk, right? So I'll yeah. let you go on. I know you're going to cover some other sectors. Absolutely. So, uh, and, you know, just very recently, this is interesting in the offshore sectors before I go on, is, you know, on average, values across all the different types there over the last three months have come down by about 20%. So we've actually got a time where the oil price is going up and values are coming down. You know, volatility is normal. What prices are so low, the 20% isn't actually that significant. Um, but you can still see, you know, there is... There's still a lot of negative sentiment in that market. And the general feeling is that it needs about another three to five years for recovery. Okay. Right. So now let's moving on to the cargo types. You know, the most, uh, it's, a, it's very interesting for us actually, the most um, attractive type of cargo vessel in terms of cyclical position is a Panamax container vessel. She, uh, Panamax container is currently about 60% below her 20-year average. And just to put that in context, the slightly smaller container vessels, i.e. Handys, are about 15%, Feeder Max are about 25%, and the very large ones, the ULCVs, are, are pretty much at their historical averages. This is very interesting because the Panamax container, with the widening of the Panama, Panama Canal, fell out of favor 
in, uh, in preference to slightly larger vessels, what we call the new Panamax type. That caused their values to decline quite significantly in line with the general decline of the Panamax sector really from 2004, well, really since the financial crisis up until today. But, you know, there have been good times and bad times over the last 10 years. And the real, the kind of the bad times started, let's say, in 2015, 16, 17, 18, 18, 19, certainly saw recovery. Um, but, you know, the Panamax values fell more than most and they recovered less over that time. But then being so cheap and potentially having different uses now rather than doing the routes through the Panama Canal, almost working as feeder vessels for the new very large container vessels that are out there, we are seeing good story in demand. We see demand, you know, let's say demand for them shrinking slower than the supply of them is shrinking. Right, and we have seen some good upticks at times in their values, and actually our macroeconomic forecast in conjunctions with our partners VMR is most bullish for the Panamax container sector. Once again, it's you know it's risky, it's a malign sector, it is naturally shrinking, but we do see great opportunities, not over the very long term, but to the short to medium term within the Panamax sector and below Panamax. Handies and feeder maxes. So to put this in the context of your typical audience, you know, we would say that the container lines with the smaller vessels may have a chance for more capital appreciation than those with the larger vessels. However, you can understand those with the larger the larger vessels are in more demand. It is more of a growth sector, but it's growing both in terms of demand and supply of the fleet and shipping rates and values are all about the relationship between demand and supply. So that's containers. So containers are still very much looking attractive in terms of cyclical position. Then that's next followed by the smaller bulker types. So the large bulker types, Cape Size, Panamax, are pretty much at parity with um, long-term historical averages. But the smaller types, handy bulkers, um, uh, are 20% below 20-year averages with supermax bulkers at 8%. So, you know, the bulk market had a good 2019, not having a great start to 2020, you know, rates uh, are pretty much operating cost at the moment, not looking too great right now, but there is a fair amount of positivity there. Values have been increasing over the last year and they've kind of been flatlining recently. Uh, but we'd say, you know, if you're looking at cheap ships in the bulker sector, then it would certainly be the smaller sizes. Just the final thing that is attractive, it's quite strange because I know the market has, you know, has had generally been quite good, is the large LNG, liquid, um, liquid natural gas sector. So, you know, this is a market which, you know, has had over the last couple of years some very good earnings. It's not so great at the moment, um, but, you know, there's some very, very, very strong earnings times. But we still find that the current values are 7% below the historical average. You know, it has to be said that the values are much less volatile in the sector. So it's not like they're going to shoot up seven or 10 or 20 percent very uh, anytime very soon or, or it's unlikely that it will. Um, but it is interesting that, you know, it's in a sector that everybody's excited about. There is increased demand for LNG as we move to a cleaner economy. They're high, harder vessels to create to, to construct, which means less shipyards can construct it, which means there's uh, more of a restriction on supply. So it's a good demand story. Yes, people are building in number, but there's not that many that can be built. We really like the LNG sector, and we're quite surprised to see that it's still uh, you know, below the historical averages.
Yeah, thanks for that rundown, Adrian. I think it's really helpful to step through all the sectors. And of course, I, I've been following yeah. that Panamax container sector for the last uh, year, year and a half or so. Uh, one of the interesting firms, of, of course, and I'm talking my book a little bit, but uh, Navios Containers is just such an interesting pure play almost mm. on those Panamax mm. vessels. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you look at, you know, how the, you know, the most successful ship owners, typically the cash-rich Greeks have made their money over generations, you know, it's, it's buy the types and buy in the markets when everybody thinks it's the worst, right, within the cargo sector. Uh, and, you know, Panamax, as you said, has been maligned and, and it, it could be a great growth story. Um, just before we go, do you want me to talk about the, uh, the least attractive sectors in terms of asset cycle? Uh, yeah, I think that'd be helpful. And then, of course, don't forget to talk about uh, crude and product tankers. I'm hoping they're apparently they're uh, not the best. So <laughs> don't tell me they're the worst. Absolutely. Well, look, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure your your listeners are, you know, uh, astute and aware of the fact that when the earnings markets are good for shipping, that tends to over the long term with good expectations, that drives the values up quite significantly. Uh, as values go up, of course, they, they, they go above their historical averages. So actually, the strongest sectors today in terms of the market, in terms of the value trends and earnings, are the worst in terms of the cycle position, right? So again, you know, the cash-rich Greeks will typically be looking to buy into the malign sectors and sell into the expensive sectors. And the expensive sectors... We, it's obvious, right, is the tanker market and also the LPG market. So, you know, in tankers, I mean, you know, just as a, quick, as a quick mention on the earnings market, you know, really since kind of um, late autumn last year, uh, you know, there's been some crazy, crazy, crazy times in the, in the tanker market, particularly in VLTCs. We hit $300,000 a day. Um, with the announcements of various sanctions of uh, Costco and, and uh, related Chinese companies and Venezuela and so forth. Um, and, you know, until recently, just until the last week, they were really averaging around $100,000 a day. Take operating costs roughly at, you know, $10,000 a day. That is a huge daily profit on a vessel. And, of course, you don't just own one. You own, you own a multitude of them. So the market has been very, very good. It's also been very, very good in LPG, up at about $70,000, $80,000 a day. Again, with, with OPEX a bit higher, maybe fifty to 20000 for a large LPG. Still huge daily profits on, on these vessels. But that has caused values to increase. And, you know, VLCCs are currently at about 10% above their 20-year average. Suez Max is looking very expensive at about 21% over its 20-year average. And other tanker types not actually being too bad, being about 5% over or some are slightly under, such as the LR1 sector, the historical averages, right? So we'd say there actually that the smaller tanker types, the MR, uh, the medium-range product tankers, long-range product tankers, and to some extent the Aframaxes, saying good market, prices actually haven't come up as fast as the larger ones, could be quite attractive. In terms of LPG, you know, the largest sizes are about 30% over their historical averages, so looking quite, quite expensive there, uh, and the smaller being 10 to 20. Yeah, so you can see, you know, 
let's say the larger tankers which are just earning a fortune in the market today are looking expensive but we certainly see opportunities in the smaller ones and if you had to push me I would particularly like the LR1 product tanker sector the MR product tanker sector is looking very good and this will tie into what I'm going to talk about with the IMO 2020 effect on the market uh, but we'd say in the crude sectors right now Aframax is certainly looking interesting you know they're incredibly versatile vessels they're not too expensive and you know they can earn very well and if you take you know somebody like Ridgebury Tankers or something like that has, has uh, potentially got some good earnings potentials there um, just as a quick comment on the uh, tanker market is it is interesting to see that VLCC rates have fallen about 40% within the last week now this volatility is relatively normal Right. Also, the beginning of the year typically is not too great for rates, uh, with Chinese New Year and other things happening around now. Um, but 40% is quite a lot. So, you know, we'd say keep an eye on what's happening in VLCCs. You know, if they continue to fall, uh, then that could be an indicator of a, of a short to medium term downturn. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think it's very useful to, to look at kind of where the asset values are compared to like the 20 year average the mid cycle and so on right and, and of course of course if the market's going to keep rising then you know obviously the vessel values will also appreciate um so you can't simply like you can't only look at the asset value and make a purchase decision right you have to you have to take into no, account lots no. of different factors and exactly on that i just just to throw you a little bit of data in terms of you know for, so my favorite thing to look at i think it's the best most objective indicator kind of it doesn't get affected by the noise that brokers or other people are making in the market it's pure data is looking at demand and supply right you know and just as a, a few quick stats over the last three months uh, medium range mr product tanker demand growth has outstripped supply growth by three percent right this is a very 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 good indicator right um What's very interesting is, is actually if you look at the crude market, and it's something I want to talk about on, on the crude sector, but I might as well talk about it here, is, you know, we've actually had, a, in, in over the last year, most of the time, we have had crude demand for crude vessels that we measure in terms of ton-mile demand, effectively an estimate on the amount of cargo being carried times the distance that the vessels are going, right? Because if they carry more cargo, they go further distances, that increases the demand for them. Uh, that in the crude sector has fallen compared to the growth of the fleet. So it's actually fallen and the growth of the fleet has increased. So demand has fallen, but supply has increased. And normally you'd expect that to have a negative effect on the market, right? Effectively, there's too many vessels out there for the amount of cargo and, and, and distances that need to be moved. So what's going on? Well, the reality is we don't live in normal times. Right. There's been a number of factors over the last few months that have an effect of reducing the real availability of large tankers in the market. So even though actually the demand has fallen right, and, and the full supply has increased, the number of real tankers available to lift cargoes has reduced. And that is driven by geopolitics. Right. The most the biggest effects have been. The sanctions on vessels that have called at Venezuela, tankers that have called at Venezuela, any that have called, I believe, in the last year, 
have issues and have, have issues trading in the have issues trading in the market. So they've been excluded effectively. The biggest factor was the uh, U.S. sanctioning of Costco Dalian related uh, uh, crude tankers, right? Because they believed that they were trading with Iran. That was a large number of vessels. I did a presentation. I'm not going to quote stats because it's also a few months old now. But that was a large number of vessels that were taken out of the market. And it also had a psychological effect, right? Because Chinese ownership of vessels is relatively opaque, you know, when oil majors or traders were looking to fix vessels, if they were Chinese or if they had any kind of relationship with Costco, they were very worried that they were sanctioned. And of course, all the uh, effort is on your side to, to make sure that you're not busting the sanctions. So the easiest choice is to not use them. So a lot of these reasons are causing vessels to be taken out. Demand fell. As you can understand there were less vessels doing less work, right? Um, but the net net effect is that the fall the um, fall in demand fall in demand was actually outstripped by the fall in available vessels. That led to the $100,000, $300,000 a day. The interesting thing for your listeners is that that implies to me that the highs of the, the current good crude market, earnings market, may not be structural. It may just be or mostly being driven by politics. So it's not like demand is massively outstripping supply. It's not like demand is really increasing like it is on the product tanker sector, like it is in the LPG sector. It's really that the politics is affecting. So if you're, if you think there's going to be more unrest, if there's going to be more incidents in the Middle East, if there's going to be more sanctions, then I would be bullish on the crude tanker sector. If you think it's going to calm down, if you think the trade war is going to de-escalate, Trump's going to stop doing sanctions on various different Chinese companies and so forth, then I would be a bit more bearish on the crude sector. Thanks for that, Adrian. It's good to it's good to get kind of multiple views, right? Because we've had uh, several companies on the last few weeks, and of course, uh, they're mostly you know talking their book and they're bullish. And then we see these impacts of things like sanctions, of IMO 2020, of storage, and so on. Um, just just a quick follow up on that in in your model, because I know you're using vessel tracking. Right, to calculate demand based on vessels, you know, from port to port and so on. If uh, if vessels are doing storage, either of regular crude oil or HSFO or compliant blends or whatever that might be, um, how does that show up on your on your tracker? Would that be like effectively zero ton miles, or was there any sort of impact to that? Yeah, that's a, that, that's a very good question. So yeah, we we very much track uh, vessels being vessels being used for storage. Um, effectively, it would the 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 the, the, ton, the the effectively those vessels become excluded from the, the, that analysis because they are they come out of the fleet. So yes, it will it will not have an effect of ton miles, but it also won't have an effect of the fleet size. So the net net effect is is, is disregarded. And typically, we do that kind of analysis. In a, we will do further analysis for our clients on that. Um, so storage is obviously critical. You know, storage is derived by the structure of the market, whether it's contango or backwardation, right? And it can have a huge effect on on tanker tanker earnings. But interestingly, it doesn't tend to have an effect on tanker values because everybody understands that the storage play tends to be short lived. So just because rates have gone up because everybody's doing storage doesn't mean that people will spend more to buy their tankers. 
Yeah, it's just a very interesting dynamic we're, we're seeing in the market right now. And it, it's certainly helping, right? I mean, the, the, the storage of different fuel blends and, and just even crude oil itself is, is definitely helping. Um, one other question for you, since you brought up the Costco sanctions, I, I think it's really good to drill down into this because we we there's so much different information out there depending on who you ask. Um, I know you track most of these vessels and some of them turn their transponders off and whatnot, but per well, your estimates, um, how many vessels are still laid up uh, because of the Costco sanctions? And, and what are the majority of them doing? Are they just sitting empty? Are they doing regional trading? Are they doing storage? Are they doing some sketchy things? Uh, what, what do you think most of those vessels are doing and, and how many are there? Yeah, I mean, because the tanker market is good, right, we're not seeing them laid up. Um, and uh, effectively, you know, it's, they just can't trade in dollars, right? So if they're not, you know, they are Chinese domestic trade, Right. There's definitely there's definitely some storage plays going on there. Um, again, you know, we looked a couple of months ago. I'd have to rerun that. I'd have to rerun that analysis now. But, you know, from talking to our contacts and looking at you know some outline data. Right. It's typically, you know, they're allowed to trade with Iran, for example. Right. Um, you know, China doesn't have sanctions between Iran. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're doing various different things that don't involve trading on a dollar account. Or trading with people that use dollars. So whether it's Chinese domestic, um, uh, you know, other Chinese government work, as you can imagine, uh, or storage. Okay, so they're, so they're out of the first world market, right? Which is certainly helping rates, right? I mean, that's undeniable. They're out like... of the first world market, but you can imagine the second world market, or the second world, or let's say, uh, you know, outside of kind of the Western influence market, uh, is linked to the first world one, right? You know, if the first world market is very high then it does have a knock-on effect to, to the rest of the world. Absolutely. So I guess the point uh, is that they're just, it's not like they're just all sitting there like empty, twiddling their thumbs and just waiting to dump on the market. No, 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 not at all. Not yeah, at that's all. great. That's great. Because I, I think yeah. you see... It's kind, of like, it's kind of like the NITC, the National Iranian Tanker Fleet, right? Um, you know, that's a huge number of VLCCs. You never see them. They never have the AIS transmitters on, They not, but they are working continuously. Yeah, excellent. That, yeah, that's good color for listeners because you, you hear these extremes, right? And, and you brought up a good point. You're saying, look, these rates that we saw last fall were extremely helped by by these sanctions. I think we saw the spike to like 300,000 for like, what, two days? I mean, it didn't last, right? And then we, we started coming back down and now you have folks saying, hey, you know, oh, we're up because of Costco, we're up because of tensions. And, and part of that might still be true, but it's not as if there's just this massive amount of ships just waiting to dump on the market that aren't doing nothing, right? So it's it's a very interesting nuance. On that pivot, uh, let's talk a little bit about IMO 2020 and, and just some of the stuff yeah. that you're seeing in the market from that. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's interesting. Obviously, it's, a, it's, it's something that has been discussed at length, and now that we are 17 days into January, it's very interesting to see how it's played out. Um, so we're certainly seeing increased ton miles and had been seeing before as people were moving around uh, in the product tanker sector, right? We have very much seen, you know, IMO 2020 is, 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 helping, is helping product tankers. The product tanker demand is up. I mean, but that's a trend that's been going on for a while now. Um, we're not seeing it so strongly in, in the crude tanker market for reasons that, I, that, that, I've, that I've said, you know, that it's mostly being driven on a political basis rather than a, on, a, on, a, on a trading basis. But who knows, that may change, and it's something that we monitor in, in, in real time. Um, so in summary, looking good for product tankers, waiting to see actually the real effect and, uh, of, of, uh, of it on crude tankers. Um, 
and in terms of kind of asset values and so forth, you know, it's really depending on the market. It's being a little bit counterintuitive. We're finding that in the markets that are not very good, such as the dry bulk market, they don't really care about scrubbers at the moment. I think because you know rates are at opex, values aren't doing anything particularly different. So you know people aren't willing to pay more for any vessels, and if they're selling, they just kind of want to sell. So people aren't. We're not seeing premiums or strong premiums in the secondhand market in the dry bulk sector. But data really over the last kind of couple of weeks is really starting to now come in on the uh, on on the tanker market. You know, and if we're looking at crude tankers, we're seeing that you know if you were to sell your kind of modern crude tanker with a scrubber attached, you're going to get roughly a five to eight percent premium on its secondhand price. So let's just. Where people are say making a bit of money is, you know, insulation at a new building is maybe one and a half to two million on a VLCC. So, you know, if you were clever enough to get all the new buildings a couple of years ago um, with a with a scrubber and you paid, let's say, two million dollars for it, you could resell that. Probably going to get a higher price for your tanker anyway because the market's gone up. Uh, for your new building, but you could sell it today, call it a hundred million for a for a resale VLCC. So you're going to be able to get it for about a hundred and between a hundred and five and a hundred and eight million, depending on the type of scrubber and the demand and so on. So you know so there has been some good opportunities for some quick like flipping and asset gains there, um, and obviously there's you know a, a, a good even higher, let's say five to ten percent premium we're seeing in the charter market. So you know, the answer is if you own a tanker, you know, it was probably a good play to have uh, scrubbers installed on your vessel about a year or two years ago. Uh, it kind of makes sense having them fitted today in terms of just the pure insulation cost. But the biggest challenge is that because the market is so good, if you take your vessel out and spend 30 to 50 days having this, piece, this device installed on your vessel, you're losing out on 30 to 50 days of earnings. And if that was a VLCC last week earning $100,000 a day, that's 5 million bucks. So if it's costing you 3 million to install, you're losing out 5 million on the installation time, you're probably not going to do it. So yeah, actually, there was a lot of debate whether early movers were going to benefit or whether they were going to have issues, issues because certain scrubber types weren't necessarily going to be accepted around the world. It looked like in the very short term, and it's generally what is suspected, that they are benefiting in the tanker sector from installing scrubbers on their vessels now. Yeah, it definitely seems like the, the folks with ships on the water, as you mentioned, obviously are benefiting big time, right? Huge spreads in, in VLCCs in particular. Uh, but for instance, we had DHD Holdings on the line yesterday, and they're actually deferring. Uh, six of their scrubbers for now, maybe waiting until the summer, because as you mentioned, they can get, uh, I think DHT just reported, you said the rates have came down a little bit. Yeah, but they just reported two fixtures this morning at 70,000 a day, right? So even wow. now the opportunity cost is, is just is just tremendous. It doesn't make any sense to do it because you're you're doubling the cost effectively of that scrubber, right? So it's, it's a very interesting dynamic to watch and, and keep track of as we, as we go forward. So Shivani, you'd absolutely, you know, kill yourself if you took your ship off for 50 days and lost all that good revenue now and by the time it came back on the market was down you know it's it's you've got to take advantage of a good market when it's there
Yeah, and it, of course the other the other leg of that trade as well, right, is looking at the spreads in the future, right? Looking at the future curves of HSFO Absolutely. and compliant blends. And, and right now that there are futures markets, and the spread is still eh, fairly significant. It's it's two hundred dollars or so, but it's not a super liquid long term market, right? So you can't hedge mm -hmm. in multiple multiple years mm -hmm. of gains. You can only hedge in like a year or so. So you're taking definitely a definitely a gamble. Um, as we kind of look yeah. at that just just a little bit more, um, and, and we turn to your system, right, the vessel's value system. Uh, do you track uh, scrubber installations yet, and it, does that apply to? Yeah, that yeah, system? yeah. So we've been we've been tracking scrubber installations over the past kind of couple of years. Uh, you know, it's the you know, I started this presentation, uh, sorry, this podcast talking about the uh, you know 150 staff in our company. Of the 150, about 80 of those are data researchers. Right, data is really poor in shipping. There's a huge amount of kind of sneaky stuff that goes on, misreporting, and just the way that the deals work and so on. You know, whether a vessel has an open loop, closed loop, hybrid, when it was installed, is it scrubber ready, and so on and so forth. You know, and and of course, sometimes people put out bad information on purpose and and so on. So you know, it's taking a lot of time to clean that information out. Um, so we have a very good handle on all the different vessels that have the different types of scrubbers fitted and so on and so forth. We have the data um, and we are kind of working on our opinion on the, well, no, no, we work on our automated solution of the uh, scrubber premium. Because of course, if you, we don't care about installation costs. Yes, we collect that data, but that doesn't affect the secondhand market, right? Just because you spent 5 million to install it doesn't mean you're gonna get 5 million back. You might get 10 when you sell it, you might get nothing, who knows? Right, depends what the market is pricing at the time, which is derived off the spread and various other things like that. Um, so we're building this an automated solution. And of course, here's the good question is how long does a scrubber last? If the scrubber is brand new, okay, you're gonna get a premium, but if the scrubber's five years old, is there any premium or do you have to reinstall you know, do you have to reinstall it, refurbish and so on and so forth? That brings in the concept of depreciation and and, and so on. So look, simple answer is we advise our clients on it. We have very good data. We are just in the process of um, kind of formalizing that into our automated solution that will monitor the scrubber premiums or could be discounts in the future uh, in real time. Yeah, it'll definitely be helpful when it's all automated because I, I did notice when you go into vessel details uh, and, and your data is pretty up to date, but some, some of the stuff, of course, needs to be filled in. But you go to vessel details and you'll see, you know, when the ship was built, if it had a scrubber, when the scrubber was fitted. Yep. Um, but it doesn't seem like those are, are impacting your reported values. Right. So so that some a user has to kind of make up their own value for now. Right. As a placeholder. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you remember, we're just 17 days into the month, and you know, prior to 2020. You know, about this is a mass generalization, but about half the ship owners were pro scrubbers and about half the ship owners were anti scrubbers. You know, having a scrubber on is another piece of equipment. You've had to do your off hire days. You know, there's a lot that you know, there's more maintenance. Supposedly they're relatively simple to maintain, but still they are, you know, they're on, they're on a very dirty part of the ship. They're on the exhaust, right? So of course there's going to be additional problems with it. And they, you know, they take up a few tons of uh, cargo capacity as well as they do weigh something. Um, so, you know, before the, the point is, new technology comes by in shipping all the time, and often uh, certain parties will try to talk their own book to try to get us to increase the value of the vessels for having 
this type of equipment on board. We have to remain totally objective and wait to see what happens with the data, right? Because if you just listen to certain parties, they'll push and pull you in different directions that isn't necessarily reflective of what's happening in the market. Yeah, certainly, certainly makes sense. And of course, that that comes up for us because, you know, we track as best we can, right? We track the NAVs of the different companies in the sector. And of course, we use you know, vessels value for a source for the ships. But then you have a case where you have a company like, say, Scorpio tankers or Starbolt carriers or uh, companies like that, where they've done so many scrubber installations, right? But it hasn't actually impacted their reported, right, uh, evaluation of the fleet. So if you're calculating an NAV yeah. of you have to come in there and, and make some sort of adjustments on your own, which I understand that, you know, it, it's complex, right? So there's no simple solution. You can't just say, you know, 5 million per vessel or 2 million or whatever. No. There, there's so many more nuances to it. Absolutely. So I think we've covered we've covered most of that stuff pretty close. I, I guess uh, you, you mentioned some political risk as being something you look out for in the uh, crude tanker sector. Is there any sort of other yeah. anomalies or anything weird going on in the sector or anything I guess you would you would uh, advise your clients or investors to kind of watch out for in that space? Um, yeah, I mean the the yeah my main my main thoughts on that is it it's as you just mentioned it's the geopolitical situation right. You know, it's Trump, it's China, Venezuela, Saudi, and Iran, right? Those are the major players going on now, okay? And they're what's really affecting the market. Um, you know, in terms of tankers, yes, you know, it's it's constantly interesting. There's, I suppose there's too many anomalies to look at. You know, shipping is a global business, right, in its nature. By being global, there are effectively black swans all over the place. You know, things that we don't expect or I would never expect to happen can just pop up for a variety of reasons, right? It's what keeps it volatile, it's what keeps it interesting, but it's also what keeps it quite stressful. Um, so, yeah, just the only way to do it, and this is why we're a successful company, is to, you know, monitor it in real time to filter out the signals from the noise, because there is a lot of noise that's going on, and that's effectively what we try to do through providing our information through our, our various websites. Yeah, absolutely, and I know Vessels Value is a resource uh, I depend on personally for my research and for my writing, my blogs, and so on, and, and I know a lot of other investors have found great value in it as well, and obviously your client list uh, has grown significantly over the years. And of yeah. course, when I when I started in 2013, I remember, you know, I would bring up Vessels Value to companies or to analysts, and um, it, it just wasn't as well known or, or I guess respected, just to be frank. And and now, yeah. of course, when if I bring up Vessels Value, um, it, it is a very respected right institution of, of value. So that that speaks very highly right. to what you and your team have accomplished. A uh, final question, uh, sort of just an interesting one, and since we're here for the IMO 2020 and Tanker Forum, um, we've seen a couple interesting resales in the market. I don't know if you're tracking them yet. They just came down yesterday and today, but um, we saw George Economou and Idenofer and, and a couple other Greeks. You talked about cash-rich Greeks earlier. Uh, it looks like they've teamed yeah. up and, and grabbed a couple VLCC resales um, as high as 107 million was the latest reported, which of course is is, is yep. a massive jump, right? Right in terms of what we've seen before in the market. Um, do you expect to do those transactions kind of line up with maybe some of the underlying market fundamentals, or maybe do you think they're outliers? And I guess related to that, um, do you think there's there's further room for those for those sort of resale and modern values to rise, or do you think we're kind of topping out here? Yeah. So. Um... I'm just looking at this. Yeah, the most recent one is this uh, 
the key yeah i can see the kiwi vlcc bought 105 that's interesting from hartree partners and we believe it's a um george economy joint venture um so she got sold at 105 yeah that is above you know our you know the, the kind of the standard as i mentioned earlier the standard kind of resale what is she korean vlcc value is about 100 million um so yeah, looking quite expensive believe that is with scrubber right so you know people are looking to pay a premium now on scrubber fitted that is ready right now so they don't have to do the off hire which we talked about but they can also benefit from burning the cheaper fuel so you're probably thinking okay the five million will be paid off through the scrubber premium um which we have on which we have on that um and yeah I don't want to mention anything more about the deal. I don't want to get into trouble. So, <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes there can be some other funny business going on the deals that will get the, the, the price higher. Don't want to comment on that, but most likely it's because of, uh, because of, the, because of the scrubber values. Look, at the, end, at the end of the day, if earnings remain high, I know they've come down over the last couple of days, but if they keep still at $50,000, dollars $70,000 a day, that's still a huge profit. You know, people cannot help themselves and they will continuously pay higher and higher prices. Take us back to 2008, you know, VLCCs went up to almost 200 million. You know, so there is historical precedent that they could, you know, even double from today's, uh, from today's um, uh, uh, value. Take into account inflation, they could go even higher. Not saying that we're going to go back to those super cycle days, but, you know, earnings are as good now than they were then, right? If not better in the tanker market. Um, so, you know, yes, values could increase more, but, you know, what will happen then is that the, the clever Greeks will be selling into the high market and uh, the new entrants will be buying expensive vessels and will be lumbered with them for a while. Yeah, certainly. I, I certainly respect you not wanting to comment too much on a transaction, especially as all we really have is a headline and a newswire. But uh, it's definitely definitely a very interesting last done. And you mentioned the Kiwi 105. There was actually another one reported in Tradewinds. Of course, it's probably not official. It's not in the database yet, but it was reported at 107. Uh, so so two ships now yep. in that joint venture. And just an interesting data point, I, I think, for folks to look at. And then, you know, of course, you, you know, the VLGC market, you, which you mentioned in LPG, uh, you have a situation where two-year and three-year, four-year vessels are actually worth more than new builds. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the game is that effectively, uh, you know, that can happen. It happens quite often in, in markets when they're very hot is that you just want the you want the vessel today. You don't care about it in the future, right? So you could pay more for an older vessel because you want it on the water to earn the market today because you never know how long that market's going to hang around for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, VLGC in the past year in 2019 made about $20 million. So just waiting yeah. in for a vessel is, is, that's a long wait, right? I mean, a, an older vessel is better than a newer one in that in that specific absolutely. instance. You have to wait. Well, Adrian, I, I think the information you provided today, I, I know the information you provide me over the years has been extremely useful. I, I appreciate your time on the call this morning. Great. Thank you, Jay. And thank you for the listeners. Thank you everyone for joining us for another edition of our live Tanker and IMO 2020 forum. We just hosted Adrian 
Economakis, the Chief Operating Officer of Vessels Value, to talk about some of the stuff they provide in the markets. Uh, we mentioned a few companies on the call today. Uh, DHD Holdings was one of them. Scorpio Tankers and Starbolt Carriers were others. And I also mentioned Navios Containers. I have long positions in all four of these companies. As a reminder, this is recorded on the morning of 17 January 2020. So if you're listening at a later date, those disclosures may have changed.